You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Oh, baby. Episode 100. Here we go. Um, I don't even know what to say. I'm just uh, in shock that... Uh, I've had enough uh, support by you guys to uh, make it to episode 100. I really didn't know where this was going to uh, end up when I when I started doing this uh, last year in October. And uh, the support from you guys is overwhelming. I mean, I really, really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. I really appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to these podcasts. And, um, you know, if this... For, for the guys who have listened to all of them, thank you very much. I mean, thank you. And if this is your very first time listening to this podcast, let me kind of reiterate what uh, this podcast is all about. I'm When I started this podcast, the goal was to interview the presidents, the owners, the engineers, um, the people who really knew the ins and outs of the the bow hunting and hunting products and uh, would share that information. And uh, that information was coming straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, right to your ears. Uh, you know, it, it uh, it's not coming from a marketing company. It's not coming from a paid uh, endorser or a celebrity hunter or a professional hunter, um, because at that you know that can get watered down with BS. So uh, I wanted to get information about the product to you guys and um, get it in a way that is, in a way, it's kind of biased because it's coming from the from the manufacturer, from the company themselves, but. They're telling you straight up about their products. Um, it's not typically a sales pitch. It is straight information, and uh, hopefully the information that you guys are getting from these podcasts help you make decisions on whether or not you like the company, like the products, and uh, may result in you purchasing or not purchasing uh, one of these products. So my goal is to stay as uh, unbiased as possible in these uh, podcasts, although uh, if I really do like a product, it kind of slips out sometimes. But uh, again, you know, this is, I, f- I feel this podcast is doing well because the industry 
is we I feel like they've been feeding you crap for so long that it's kind of a breath of fresh air to get uh, an unbiased opinion on something or information straight from the mouth of the people who are are manufacturing it uh, and you know them just telling you straight up what their product can do what it's designed to do and uh, maybe even some uh, some you know some technical things that uh, go unnoticed and uh, so hopefully you guys are getting a kick out of that also a huge shout out to all the guests that have come on the show um, the average Joes for sharing their stories about and, and I consider myself an average Joe as well um, but you know the regular guys who are coming on sharing their stories not only about you know the product reviews that have uh, seemed to be uh, fairly popular but the you know the hunter profile podcasts um, the stories of regular guys going out and getting it done in the field and uh, I'll be honest those are those are my favorite podcasts to do the interviews on so um, you know there is a lot more to come and uh, I'm really happy with how this turned out I I really don't even know what to say because I never thought I'd be in this position to to be having a hundredth episode. Um, I I don't look at this as work. It you know it is it is time consuming, but I love doing it. I love talking about hunting products. I love talking about hunting, uh, not only strategy but the products and everything that goes into it. So uh, for me, this is just kind of like a little break in my day where I get a chit chat with uh, other fellow hunters and uh, you know, you can't beat that. So uh, now, like I said, thanks to all the guests who have come on and have done the, you know, not only the companies, but you guys, but I want more of that. So I want you guys to continue to do these product reviews. Um, if you have a product that you love or that you hate or that is just okay but you may not purchase it again, all those things, all those details, share that with me so I can share that with the masses. Let's uh, let's get all that information out there so when it comes time to purchase these products, uh, some of these hunters, you know, the the guys like me and you who are who are looking for an honest review because, like I said, uh, a lot of these reviews online are 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 BS. So uh, my goal is to uh, filter all that out and get it straight from you guys. You know, one of the questions I always ask in an email when uh, people come out and say, "Hey, I want to review this product," is, "Do you have any affiliation with that product? Whether you're a pro staffer or you're a, a company rep or something like that?" And uh, I've caught. I've caught three, four, five people trying to uh, come on the show and um, two in particular where I did a whole podcast and then luckily I went on Facebook and found out that these guys are pro staffers for a particular company. So I didn't launch the episode because I felt it was unfair. Um, maybe they did believe in the product. Maybe that they were doing it just because they were a pro staffer, but I that is, in my opinion, that's a biased opinion, and uh, the whole point of this show is to to uh, not have that. So, with that said, whether you guys have a product you want to review, whether you have a story about an awesome hunt, an adventure, anything, let me know, and I will get that 
that story out there. I'll get those reviews out there for uh, you know the other regular hunters, the average Joe, so to speak, and uh, they can listen to uh, your story, your product review, and whatnot. You know, if you guys have a company or a product that you want me to review, hit me up whether it's on Facebook or you know email me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com and uh, I'll do my best to reach out to those companies, ask them if they want to uh, come on the show. Not only that, but if you have a friend who killed a giant buck or killed his first buck with a bow or any cool story, let's get those guys on the show. So, uh, you know, this... This podcast, um, I want you guys to be involved as much as humanly possible. Also, thanks for the emails. Thanks for all of the uh, Facebook messages and whatnot, um, all the comments, replies, and critiques. I really appreciate it. Um, So I think I've said thank you a thousand times. You guys get the point. Now, let's talk about this 100th episode giveaway. I know uh, I mentioned something about it last week, but now it's time to find out what you guys are going to be able, you know, put your name in the hat, so to speak for. So first off, I'm going to let you know that in order to win, you have to listen to the end of the podcast because that's when I'm going to give the instructions. But right now is when I'm going to tell you what first and second place are, uh, what they consist of. So First place, here's what you, if I draw your name for first place, this is what you could win. An HR200 Mossy Oak Edition from Ozonics, Crossfire Binoculars from Vortex Optics, an Exodus Lift Trail Camera, and a swag bag, a t-shirt and hat and whatnot, a Kingpin Sight from HHA, a dozen Full Metal Jacket Arrows from Easton, one pack of Diamondback Broadheads from Ramcat, um, upwind scent elimination, super slam six pack and a hat, a four pack combo kit from nose jammer and one pack of broadheads from wasp archery. So, uh, that's a pretty badass giveaway right there. That's, I don't, I'm not even going to do the math, but I'm guessing that's close to, uh, o- or over a thousand dollars worth of product. Now, second place, you're going to get a four-pack combo kit from Nose Jammer. You're going to get a Power of Science bundle and an anti-block from Analogics. You're going to get one pack of your choice from Grim Reaper Broadheads, and you're going to get a Whitetail Buck decoy from Montana Decoy. So that is number two. So uh, again, that's a decent uh, second place is pretty pretty good as well. Um, so that is kind of a, a thank you guys for tuning in and listening. And uh, every person, the, the cool thing about that is I didn't have time to go back and ask absolutely every person who was uh, on every company who was on the podcast. And uh, I want to say thank you to all the companies who took their time to come on, but also thank you to the companies that I just mentioned and uh, taking their time to, you know, donate these products for for you guys to win. So uh, we will uh, we'll talk about how to win at the end of this podcast. Now, who's on this podcast today? Uh, we are going to be talking with Chad Sylvester. He's the other half of exodus trail cameras and uh you hear the commercials on the majority of the podcasts and they are from matt klein he's one he's one half uh 
Chad is the other half. And uh, today, we're just kind of bullshitting about trail cameras. So uh, Chad and myself, and Matt was supposed to be on the show, but uh, he did probably what I would have done and uh, went out into the timber and he was scouting some property and uh, hanging trail cameras and, and uh, doing all that fun stuff. So um, plus we hear his voice all the time anyway. But we're talking about trail camera strategy, trail camera maintenance, basically all things trail cameras today. This isn't an Exodus uh, infomercial, so don't worry about that. Um, we're going to be talking about how to take care of your uh, trail cameras, what to look for. You know, sometimes, you know, we have to admit that Exodus may not be the uh, trail camera of your liking. Uh, it may not be in your budget. You know, there's there's several different companies out there. So Chad is going to talk a little bit about, you know, what to look for in a good trail camera and uh, what, you know, maybe the difference between what a good trail camera versus a great trail camera versus a poor trail camera and all those things. So uh, it is a really, really interesting podcast today. And, uh, you know, Exodus Trail Cameras is the only sponsor right now, and uh, I owe those guys a lot as well. Um, basically, you know, just like any uh, advertising, they pay me, and I rep their product. But the cool thing about that is, I had the uh, I had the opportunity to try out their trail cameras before that relationship, and um, I am really happy with the way they worked. And uh, that's why we took our relationship to the next level. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I can't say that without laughing. But I mean, you get it. Um, so thank you to Exodus, and um, I really appreciate your guys' support. And um, hopefully, I have. Hopefully, you guys haven't felt like I've been laying down a sales pitch. Uh, for Exodus. Uh, again, I want to get you guys the facts. I want you guys to have the same experience with um, that trail camera, you know, that I've had. And uh, if you have any questions about that, uh, you know, Exodus trail cameras, call the guys. They will answer the phones and they will answer all your questions. Send them an email, they will answer it. You know, they have awesome customer service. And uh, if you've listened to the commercials, they have awesome like theft warranties nobody has that five-year warranty nobody has that so uh these guys are doing uh, cool and interesting things that some other trail camera companies on the market are not doing and um i find that uh i find that really interesting so uh and that makes me happy so that's why we uh we took our relationship to the next level <laughs> And I'm not going to waste too much more of your time. I've already been talking what I feel like for 15 minutes maybe. So uh, let's get into today's Trail Camera Talk podcast with Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cameras. All right. Still hear me? Yep. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here for our 100th episode and uh, today on the phone with me is Chad Sylvester from uh, Exodus Trail Cameras. How are you doing today, Chad? I am doing awesome, Dan. Doing awesome. Uh, pretty humbled you chose us for, or me, I guess, for the uh, 100th episode. That's, uh, that's a pretty big milestone for you. I know it's important, so uh, it's pretty cool to be here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I say it every podcast, but I want to say again, thank you guys for supporting me. I really appreciate, uh, you know, taking the time 
and uh, the the money and throwing it my way, and uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem, man. It's uh, it's much well deserved, much deserved. Perfect. So, you know, I had this thing scheduled, and uh, I got to give uh, Matt a little bit of shit because uh, uh, <laughs> instead of coming on the podcast today, the guy just goes, "Well, I'm going to go set up some tree stands and do some scouting on a property." <laughs> So he's not able to join us today, but I tell you what, we're sick of hearing his voice and all the commercials anyway. So it's good to have you on the show. I appreciate that. You know, uh, you know, it seems like he spends a lot of time in the woods and, uh, I, I know it's beneficial for, for both of us cause he's doing a lot of, uh, well, some of my scouting also, but, uh, uh, it's good to know that, uh, I'm still well, well, well needed, I guess. Well, I guess what I want to know is what did, what's he got on you that, you're not out there and he's doing this podcast today or, or does he have something on you where, uh, okay, you got to do all the office work and I get to go out and do the the fun stuff. Well, it's not, he doesn't really have anything on me. It's no, <laughs> no blackmail material per se, but I guess, uh, I guess it just comes, comes down to our wives, I guess <laughs> the relationships at home. Uh, he just has a little more freedom, I guess. Oh man. Do I know exactly what you're talking about? <laughs> but, Today, let's see here. Today, we are going to talk uh, not necessarily about Exodus trail cameras. I want to I want to talk about Exodus um, here for a little bit, but um, this is not going to be, uh, I guess, a one hundred percent about Exodus podcast. Uh, basically, I want to talk to you guys about uh, you know how one should properly use trail cameras. What are some things that people need to pay attention about when, you know, using trail cameras and, uh, you guys are a trail camera company. So I figured, you know, it's the hundredth episode and you guys are the experts when it comes to trail cameras because you own a trail camera company. So uh, I figured, uh, this would be a, an awesome thing to do. But before we get into all that, I want to know how excited are you for your 2016 hunting season? Oh man, I am pumped. You know, uh, 2015 was, was, uh, was a tough year. Um, basically boiled down the one encounter for me very early and, uh, on a 135 ish type class animal, let them walk because obviously we had pictures of giants, uh, on camera. And, uh, I went about seven, eight, nine more days without an encounter until the very last day, and uh, needless to say, I ate a tag for the second year in a row. So, biting the bullet for 2015, I am really excited about 2016. We have some really good deer on camera. Um, I think there's going to be a little more time this fall to hunt. You know, obviously, we want to make uh, make Ohio big, being our home state. But uh, we've gotten on some pieces in Illinois. There's a possibility uh, of us going down to Kentucky, maybe Missouri. So, um uh, our schedule is a little more open this year and, uh, I think it's going to be awesome. And I think we're going to lay down some giants. Well, good luck. I tell you, I know exactly what it's like to, uh, eat tag soup. I do it quite often. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I know the taste of those tags, man. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, uh, people think that because we're a trail camera company and we have all these trail cameras at our disposal to use, which we do, we run a lot, you know, as Matt, Matt probably mentioned in the previous episodes, we run quite a few cameras, but, uh, we can get them on, we can get them on camera. We just can't kill them. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this year's the turning point for us. <laughs> and that's what I always tell people, you know, they think that just because someone has a big trail, a picture of a deer on trail camera, that it means they're going to kill them. That don't mean shit. 
if you can't, <laughs> I can go out and I mean, yeah, I live in Iowa, but I, I can go out and I can, uh, put, a a trail camera in a field or, you know, put it over a mineral station this time of year. And, you know, b- me being in Iowa, I can get, you know, a 150 class deer, you know, even bigger to, to show up just, you know, basically on random, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to have an encounter with that deer come the hunting season. Absolutely, man. There's a whole lot more to it. That's right. So I want to talk a little bit, you know, before we start talking about trail cameras, I want to talk a little bit about Exodus and, um, you know, how is the company doing? Um, what kind of growth have you seen since you started? And, uh, you know, what are you excited about for the future? Well, we are doing awesome. You know, it's a, uh, it's a labor of love for us. We truly love what we do day in and day out. Um, whether it's, you know, being in the office, dealing with all the, the paperwork BS or, um, you know, talking to customers, which is always, is always good getting feedback from customers and then spending time in the woods, obviously using our product. Um, it's almost a dream come true to be honest. Um, and, as far as growth, we uh, we are growing exponentially. We 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 are well above our forecast for 2016, and uh, we actually just came off a back order, a two week back order, because truthfully, these orders are coming in so fast that we're having a hard time keeping up as far as uh, inventory, holding inventory. And uh, what we're finding is, you know, all the customers from last year that uh, really bought into our mission, but wanted to buy maybe one or two cameras to see how our product worked and see what Exodus was about. Those folks are now coming back and buying, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes upward to 20 cameras. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been awesome. Um, We're really excited about everything that we're doing, you know, Um, from start to finish, our brand is a little bit different than, uh, than what you typically get in the outdoor industry. And uh, we're, we have some cool things to come. We're still working on that sophomore release um, that should be available. I don't want to throw any dates out there, but it should be available early uh, 2017. You know, we're just working, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone, making sure that that thing is a home run, making sure all of the uh, I's and T's, I's are dotted, T's are crossed, um, and taking in all that customer, um, all that customer input to make sure that we're giving folks, you know, what they're asking for. Okay. So, I mean, can you, can you share any information with us at all? I know that some of this stuff is, is hush hush, but, uh, is there anything that you can share with us as far as details of this, uh, sophomore release? Um, you know, we're just starting the, the testing process. I mean, we've had, we, we have the, uh, hardware, uh, design and schematics finished and finalized. It's just testing, maybe moving a few things, um, as far as hardware goes, I can tell you a few things. I can tell you the trigger speed and our detection zone will be much improved. Um, you know, we're looking at, uh, our goal was a sub 0.5 trigger speed for photos. Uh, I think that we're going to accomplish that. I think that we're probably going to end up around somewhere between, you know, 0.25 and 0.3, I think is what the testing is, uh, coming in right now. Um, <clears throat> So that's uh you know that's that's a big thing you know a lot of guys are are consumed about trigger speed and detection zone. Um, we're working on our battery uh, our, our battery life, trying to get those resting resting currents down and some of the power consumptions during the day and night. We're trying to get those down to improve battery life. Um, those are two of the main focuses, obviously, uh, that we were trying to improve on. Um, but other than that, really, 
Um, the user interface is going to be very similar. We're going to simplify it just to, just a tad, taking out some of uh, the un, unneeded things um, that we had in, in the lift. Uh, but other than that, the shell design is the same. Um, you know, we're, we're very big on that vertical door with the dual latch system preventing moisture ingress. Um, the same longevity, same quality components. So overall, it'll be a very similar camera, just, uh, just spec-wise, those numbers are going to look a little better. Okay. Yeah, I know that uh, everybody that I talk to always said, you know, one for some reason, one second trigger speed is not fast enough. I don't know right. why, what, why that is. But you know, that was a that complaint that I heard from people about your cameras. And now with this new version available, uh, this faster trigger speed, you kind of answered that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it was, uh, it was something that we've seen from, you know, customers calling in, writing emails, uh, people who are interested in the lift, but not necessarily, necessarily ready to buy. Um, you know, and the one second trigger speed or the 0.9 second trigger speed is really, uh, you know, that's on par for, I guess for, for, uh, for most cams, but that's not what we're after here. We're not, we're not after to be an average brand. We want to, we want to be, uh, we want to be cutting edge. We want to be the leader in the industry in everything that we do. You know, we don't want to only be known for, um, you know, our warranty policies and the service policies. We want to be known as a tech company. So, um, you know, that's where it goes from here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, enough about Exodus. (laughs) <laughs> let's uh let's talk about uh trail cameras in general and uh let's talk about maybe some some problems that people face when using trail cameras or you know how to locate them you know just maybe some problems that uh that a regular joe may have with a trail camera that they've purchased mm-hmm. um, and maybe throw some ideas out there on how to um, how to solve those problems. So, um, I guess the, the very first one I'll ask is battery life. Is there a trick to battery life to, or a style or kind of battery that will maybe lengthen, um, your, your camera life as far as, uh, battery consumption is concerned? Great question. Great question. Um, I don't know per se, there's a trick, but there is definitely, uh, an education process that, um, consumers should know um, how their camera functions, whether it's a six volt camera, whether it's a 12 volt camera, how many batteries does that camera take? Um, and also know the difference between alkalines, rechargeables, and lithiums. Um, batteries ultimately can cause you the most problems in the woods um, as far as trail camera performance goes. And I think the one thing to note is the difference between alkaline batteries and lithium batteries alkaline batteries um typically start at 1.5 volts so if you're running a 12 volt camera uh that would be eight batteries but as they cycle as that camera's taking pictures and it's drawing power from those batteries the voltage starts to drop or decrease just a tad bit but over a series of uh over a, a specific time or a series of pictures i guess you could say um as that voltage starts to decrease and you hit you know, somewhere between 60 and 50% of uh, the life cycle of that battery, you will start to see performance issues, whether that's the trigger speed slowing down, uh, your detection zone, detection zone starting to shrink up. Um, eventually you're going to start missing night photos. Um, whereas lithiums, um, you don't, you don't get that. Lithiums use a, a metallic based electrode. So you have better, um, cold weather performance versus the alkalines that use a water-based electrode. 
and the lithium start at 1.7 volts and they and they their life cycle or their lifespan runs consistent at 1.7 volts almost until the moment that they die so the analogy that we use um, a lot when we're at trade shows talking with folks is if you're running a uh, you know most folks are familiar with lithium power 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 tools like a power drill and if you if you're using a dewalt or a makita power drill and uh, you know you're running screws into a deck or something and you run a thousand screws in and that, and that that drill is operating you know pristine it's operating perfect but then within two screws it's dead well lithium batteries for truck hammers do the same thing so um you know you get a much longer you get much better performance out of lithiums you get uh at least three times the lifespan out of them um you know and we know that it's a little more cost up front but in the long run and it, it ends up saving you money um you know when you when you compare um, the lifespan of those batteries, lithium batteries versus alkaline batteries. Um, so that's one thing to note. The second thing would be, you know, when you're comparing cameras um, to know whether that camera is six volts or 12 volts and know how many batteries it takes to power that camera. So some cameras in the market are six volt, but they still take 12, 12 batteries. Um, you're really running that camera at a multi multiple capacity um, of what that camera is actually requiring. So those batteries can be, uh, in parallel or in, um, in, in a sequence where they alternate. So you're really running two times capacity in some of those cameras. So it's, uh, it's important to know the, your equipment, to know your cameras, um, know, you know, what they require as far as power, but, uh, anybody we talk to, we recommend running lithium batteries. It's, uh, it's going to save you a lot of headaches, going to get you better performance out of any camera. Um, and it's going to be cheaper in the long run. One thing that I've always kind of had a problem with is trail camera placement and whether that has been in the wrong location, it's, whether it's over a mineral uh, mineral station or if it's, you know, you're trying to catch a, uh, a deer jumping a fence or coming down a specific trail. Um, I've, I've had issues in the past where I just can't get my trail camera in the right spot for a good picture to catch what's coming through. Do you have any tips or tricks that uh, might be able to help uh, someone, you know, put their trail camera in uh, the best possible spot? Well, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough question. Um, you know, Matt and I, uh, we talk a lot about that wheel of fortune method, um, that we use. And, and basically that boils down to running a number of cameras, um, for one specific animal. And then we, once we have a photo of them, we kind of reposition some of those cameras to gain as much data as we can, um, uh, from those initial pictures. So, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not the type of guy that is worried about, you know, those glamour shots, you know, right. always facing your camera north or you, having pristine uh, background or foreground in your picture. I'm not worried about that. I use these things as a tool to kill big deer. Um, that's all of them. That's all that I'm worried about. So um, generally speaking, once we have initial pictures of a deer, um, you know, we'll collect as much data as we can from, from those photos, the initial photos that we get. And then go place our cameras uh, based on what we think or how we think he's moving. So, um, you know, a tool that we use is Deer Lab, but that's not, you know, it's not required. Um, so if we get a picture, let's just say we get a picture of a, of a deer over a mineral site. And we think that he's coming from the, from the northeast, okay? And it's, it's evening time. It's, uh, you know, 6.37 o'clock in the evening this time of year. Um, we will go back and check the weather information and see what the wind is doing. So 
we will go back, check the weather, calculate where where we think he's moving from, and then we will take specific cameras um, and then place them from a bed to food source travel pattern or a, a bed to staging area uh, pattern. And from there, uh, we will even go a step further. Once we, once we kind of verify, okay, this deer is moving um, with a southwest wind, we think he's moving from the northeast, uh, quartering into the wind or heading directly into the wind uh, using a specific trail. We'll actually go and hang cameras in bedding areas or above beds in the hill country. But one thing to note there is we will not check those cameras until the following year. We will throw lithium batteries in there. We'll throw a large SD card and we will let that camera sit and just soak for the entire season. And then when we go in for a for postseason scouting, we'll go ahead and pull that camera, pull this, that card and then gather that information um, from, you know, six to eight months that we gather. But you know, as far as specific, um, just to interrupt you real quick, I mean, uh-huh. that's obviously something that someone with a trail camera company has the luxury of doing, but uh-huh. is that, is that something that you might recommend to, uh, somebody who, you know, is very interested in maybe annual patterns or, you know, trying to locate in pattern next year's buck, like one year ahead of time, because, you know, I absolutely. I use all my trail cameras for, you know, this year because I, I need to use them for this year. I don't, I don't have the luxury of having extra trail cameras uh, right. to just dump in the woods and say, I'm not going to touch it for one year. Right. Well, I think ultimately the question um, people have to ask themselves is, are you hunting a specific animal or are you hunting mature deer movement in general? I think that's the bigger question there. And if you're hunting, uh, you know, if there's a specific buck that you're dedi- dedicating your, your season to, I think absolutely you should focus every resource you have on that animal. But if you're, if you're satisfied with uh, any mature animal, four and a half years or older, whether you've had history with him or not, then I think generally speaking, um, you should focus your efforts on mature, m- mature buck movement in general. So uh, I think that that's probably a question you have to, people have to ask themselves first. Um, before they kind of gather a strategy. But I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of that's, it's going to boil down to basic common knowledge, you know, putting cameras on food sources, um, you know, figuring out what time, which buck is showing up where, whether that's a food plot, um, you know, um, a, a white Oak stand, um, persimmons, whatever you have in the area that, that those bucks are feeding on, a, feeding on, um, at that time. And then, Obviously, something a lot of people do not pay attention to, including myself, which bit me in the butt last year, was paying attention to does and doe bedding areas with your trail cameras. Um, If you can pinpoint specific times, specific does or doe family groups are coming into estrus, that can be the biggest advantage you have during the rut. And it's a lot, it's something that 90, 90, 90 to 95% of people do not pay attention to, including myself, which, uh, probably may have cost me, you know, uh, eating a tag last year, but you know, that's the way it goes. That's, uh, that's, that's how you evolve as a hunter is to, you know, look back and learn from your mistakes. So I'm not really sure if that answered any of your, <laughs> any, of your <laughs> any of your questions, it but did. Uh, it okay. did. Um, 
I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna have to edit this uh this part out, but can you put your pen down? <laughs> oh my no problem man. I have, no a, I, have, I have a bad habit like that. Like oh, dude, I, I do too. I do like too. Rants, I'm like clicking my pen, tapping my foot. <laughs> yeah, you should see me in work meetings. I'm like always pounding on the table and stuff like that. But uh all right. <clears throat> so the next question I have for you is how should a consumer know what trail camera is actually good for them? Uh, because there's, you know, there's obviously Exodus, but there's uh, tons of other trail cameras on the market. And, uh, and like we've discussed uh, at the last podcast I recorded with Matt, there's tons of different uh, price points as well. How should a consumer know what they actually need in a trail camera? versus maybe what they want. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that starts, obviously that does start with price point. Um, you know, uh, I would never, I would never recommend or suggest someone stress, stretching themselves, uh, financially for, for a tool or for a piece of equipment, uh, using the outdoor industry, whether it's a bow, a trail camera, clothing, you know, tree stands, whatever. Um, so I think it does start with figuring out what you can afford and what you can spend. And I think from there, um, it all comes down to doing your research, doing a little bit of digging um, beyond the typical marketing jargon that you get from the industry. Um, you know, going beyond the specs, maybe jumping on a few forums, um, reading some consumer reviews, whether that be Amazon. Um, again, going back to um, maybe, maybe some hunting forums that uh, you can get some knowledgeable information, you know, obviously social media, um, this day is a, a huge player in that, but also again, taking that, that consumer review with a grain of salt, because, you know, there are guys that maybe have a bad experience with a brand and, and they'll dog that brand for the rest of their life. And maybe that brand is, is legit. Maybe they put out a good product and, uh, you know, that guy was one in a hundred that had a bad, bad experience with it. And I think a lot of times consumers tend to, um, give their opinion, uh, more so when they have a bad experience rather than a good experience. So I think it just takes time, Dan. I think, uh, I think it takes time, maybe three or four hours, um, you know, to get online, to get on the web and, and really do a little bit of due diligence and, um, Read about the camera. Know, uh, you know, get past the megapixel, um, the marketing ploy. Know what sensor is being used in the camera. Knowing um, the power consumption of the camera, whether it's 6 volt or 12 volt. Um, knowing what, what camera is compatible with which types of SD cards. Um, it just takes a little bit of time. You know, I think that uh, for the most part, guys, consumers um, in general are getting better uh, in this day and age, because of the, the, uh, the resources they have at their fingertips, they're getting better at that, um, than maybe 15, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's industry wide. I don't think that's necessarily just in the trail cam industry. I think that's, um, industry wide, whether they're buying bows or clothing or, or, uh, or tree stands or what have you, they, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's new resources popping up every day. I mean, that's what your podcast is based on. It's, it's a, it's a gear podcast and, uh, uh, you know, obviously you do a pretty good job at, uh, bringing on everyday consumers, giving their opinion, uh, about different products. So, um, I think it just, number one, it starts with, um, what you can afford, you know, obviously that's going to limit you. And then number two, um, you know, deciphering which brand is going to work best for you. So, so from 
uh, an actual category standpoint, are there things that, you know, cause you met, you mentioned something about, you know, get past the megapixel uh, mm-hmm. thing. Is there, uh, a, a certain number of megapixels that, you know, once you surpass that, it really just doesn't matter anymore. Well, um, you know, that's, that's dependent on the manufacturer, something that, um, uh, you know, everyone wants to go back to these, these, these spec sheets and, you know, some companies market a, a 20 megapixel camera, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really tell you anything because those megapixels are artificially created by the software. What you really want to know is what size image sensor is in your camera. You know, we compare that a lot to, uh, the DSL, DSLR market where, you know, obviously a camera that you buy ha- that has a full frame sensor uh, is going to take better pictures than, than, a, than a camera that has um, a smaller size sensor. And it's the same, it's the same way with trail cameras. You know, a, a camera that has, uh, the trail camera that has a three megapixel sensor is going to take better photos than uh, a camera that has a two megapixel sensor. So when companies are advertising a 12, 15, 20 megapixel picture that's just giving you the file size it's not necessarily giving you the clarity and the crispness of uh what you're actually getting um from that photo okay you know we already talked about trigger speed there a second but is what is a good trigger speed i mean it just seems like you know you 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 also use the term marketing ploy is Mm -hmm. there a trigger speed i mean what what is considered a slow trigger speed as opposed to hey this trigger speed is, speed is so fast it really doesn't matter because you know uh, right. a deer running or walking through the woods is going to get uh, captured at this point anyway right right I think anything in this day and age anything over a second is probably slow um, and anything probably you know sub point five is probably a little bit of overkill but again. It, it's it's really dependent on how you're going to use this camera. Um, you know, if you're paying money to have a quarter second trigger speed, but yet you're hanging that camera over a bait station or a mineral site, what are you getting from that? What are you getting from a, a 0.25 trigger speed if that camera is over a bait station? You know, you could probably get away with something that has a slower trigger speed. Um, but yet, if you're using that camera on a trail and you're dependent on the information that you're prov- you're being provided uh, you're being provided through the rut where maybe, you know, bucks are chasing does. Maybe you need that quarter second trigger speed. So again, it, it, a lot of that comes back to how you are going to use that individual camera, uh, to your advantage. Um, really, um, again, anything I personally in this day and age, you can probably get over anything over any, any trigger speed over, uh, one second. A lot of it's going to be dependent on your setup, how you're positioning that that camera, uh, maybe on a trail, maybe you're not positioning that perfectly uh, perpendicularly to a trail. Maybe you're quartering that uh, into the trail so your field of view becomes a little bit wider. Um, so again, a lot of that depends on uh, your personal use and how you plan on using that camera. But I would suggest um, for most folks, Anything under one second uh, in this day and age, you can use as long as you uh, as long as you know on what specific direction you're going to use that camera and how you're going to use it. Gotcha. So, 
you know, elaborating a little bit on marketing ploy, what are some things that, you know, if a trail camera company says, Hey, our, our trail camera does this, what, what are some things that we should really pay attention to versus what we should ignore? Yeah. Great, great point. Great question. Um, obviously trigger speed is one thing. And again, like we previously discussed it, that goes back to your personal setup. Um, but also maybe detection and flash range, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies are marketing a hundred foot detection, hundred foot flash range. And I don't know, I'll be honest. I'll be, I don't know a single person who is setting their camera up a hundred feet away from their desired target. Right. Um, so that would be one thing. It has its advantage, uh, you know, in a food plot setting maybe. But then again, as long as your camera that you're using has a, has a time-lapse feature, you know, that kind of overlaps or makes up for, um, you know, that large detection zone. And um, for the most part, to get that, uh, you know, superior, you know, ultra-long detection zone, those companies are putting um, very sensitive PIR sensors in their cameras with a very narrow um, uh, detections on an area, very narrow field of view to, to get that range. Um, so be cautious of, uh, you know, what you're using a camera for again. Um, so detection zone would be one thing. Um, uh, again, trigger speed also comes into play there. And what about flash versus like, uh, like a, a, uh, infrared or like a black flash or, or stuff like that. <laughs> that is a, uh, that is a very touchy subject inside the industry. You know, there's, um, you know, there's guys that say that white flash cams or, uh, the IR cams, the, the 720 NMs, um, the red glow, I guess, uh, to, to say will actually scare deer. Um, typically, you know, I would agree with that personally. That's on, that's based on a personal, personal experience. The deer that, uh, that we hunt, Matt and I hunt, um, you know, we hunt a lot of public, um, there's a lot of pressure. So the deer that we hunt don't tolerate a whole lot of intrusion. So we try to be as, um, as least as intrusive as possible. We, we do a lot of elevated sets where those cameras are not even visible. They're out of the line of sight of those animals. So we'll hang those cameras eight to nine, 10 feet, off the ground, angle them down. So they have no clue that they're there. So that's, that's, that's a a, a big thing, um, for us personally, but there's guys that, uh, that like the picture quality of a white flash. They want They want that color nighttime image. So they'll buy a white flash and they, you know, there's guys that swear that their deer are conditioned, um, to that flashing light. Um, you know, again, it just goes back to, uh, you know, personal preference. I would never, personally run a white flash camera um to collect data on a deer that i wanted to hunt because i do not want them to have the slightest clue that i am in their bedroom or their living room and i'm trying to kill them right okay what about color or whether or not the you know the sd card is behind you know the the camera opens all the way up or something I guess similar to what you guys have where um, the battery compartment and all that stuff is, is separate from Mm -hmm. the, you know, the rest of the camera. Does that make a difference at all? 
Um, in longevity, it does. Uh, you know, the t- traditional clamshell type cameras that ha- that uh, you know that are hinged on one side, uh, that have a latch on one side, the opposite. They have a latch on the opposite side, and then they have like um, you know the silicone or rubber O ring around them. In our testing, we've found that they are more uh, susceptible to moisture ingress, allowing water into those cameras because that single latch um, does not distribute even pressure and even seal around that camera. So you'll see more and more companies starting to get away from that and going to, um, you know, like the half door, like a, a Browning I know has done that. Browning makes a, makes a, makes a pretty good, a damn good trail camera for their price point. Um, so that, that's, that is one thing. Um, as far as SD cards go, um, you know, every manufacturer uses a different Kodak in their camera, a different writing process. So, it's hard to say, you know, which which SD card or which brand is going to work better than the next in a specific camera. Um, I'll leave that up to the manufacturer to declare. Okay. So you you mentioned you you know you like to um, put your your you like to put your trail cameras up above the ground, so you know not only. The deer don't see them, but you know the added benefit is that if uh, if some guy comes walking through, they're not going to probably lay eyes on it as well. Or if they do, it might be a little hard to get to. Do you have any other recommendations as far as uh, trail camera safety? I mean, keeping your trail camera secure and and not uh, able to uh, you know have it stolen. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's the obvious: um, the lock boxes, the Python cables. Um, you know, chains, what, whatnot. But the bottom line is if, if truly, if somebody wants a camera bad enough, they're going to take it. Um, you know, we've had, uh, we've had instances where people have, uh, cut trees down actually <laughs> to, to take a camera. Um, so I, I think the lock boxes keep honest people honest and it's going to prevent any damage from, uh, maybe bears or, um, any other pesky critters. Um, but one thing that we do a lot is, is elevated setups. Um, you know, we carry a stick with us, um, and we'll get that camera elevated eight to nine, eight, nine, ten feet off the ground again, and angle that down. And like you said, not only does that eliminate the animal from seeing it, but it, it is also out of the line of sight of, uh, you know, any people that may be walking public or any trespassers that you may have. Because one thing that we have found from talking to customers is, most cameras, this is kind of hard to believe, but most cameras are stolen on public. And we find that it's usually by a neighbor or a trespasser that uh, obviously knows they are not supposed to be on the property. They get their picture taken and they're like, oh shit, what do right. I do now? Right. So they, they, they take the SD card or they take the camera. So right. um, anywhere where especially if, if you're on, you know, if it's legal to bait in your state and you have a bait pile out or a mineral site, any place where you would logically think there's a trail camera, I, I would recommend getting them off the ground, getting them elevated. Okay. You said angle them down. What are you using to angle them down? Well, you could use a, you could use a third Marty, a third party mounting system. You could use a stick and pick or a cam lock box mount, um, you know, that has a vertical and horizontal um, pivot point. Or, or you could just use a stick. You know, there's plenty of times where we're in the woods where we don't have anything handy in our packs, 
um, that we'll, we'll go up, we'll use the regular strap that's provided with the camera, but then, uh, you know, we'll use the, we'll use a stick and, um, and wedge that between the top of the camera to get it, to get it pointed down. And, and, uh, sometimes you have to, you know, kind of, uh, take a test photo or, uh, if there's a viewer on the camera, look at the viewer to make sure, you know, your target area is right. Um, but after enough, after enough experience in, in setting those types of sets up, um, you know, it doesn't take any longer than, uh, typically just strapping them to a tree four or five feet off the ground. Yep. All right. So now here's where I, here's where I always get pissed at myself. And that is simply like forgetting to turn the, the on button on or turn it (laughs) off of a setup mode to the on button or, you know, making sure that I format the SD card or, you know, something that is my fault. Do you, do you have any tips for maybe a guy like me who is a dumbass? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're, you're not alone there, Dan. You know, I've, uh, you know, running these things for 10 plus years, I have been there plenty of times and there's nothing more frustrating than coming back and finding your camera off knowing that you left there setting that up, you know, in hopes of, uh, in hopes of landing a few pictures of a shooter and, uh, you know, there's nothing there. So, you know, just double check, triple check, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you know that that camera is properly functioning, but it also helps to run uh, a single brand. you know, if you're happy with whether it's Browning or Reconyx, Moultrie, whatever brand that, uh, you know, you feel comfortable with running, it does help to run the same model or the same brand because it, typically, um, the, the user interface or the setup is going to be similar. So, um, that would be, I guess my only tip is uh, double check, triple check. And, you know, if at all possible, use, uh, use similar cameras. Right. I'll tell you one thing that I've done over the past you know, two years actually is, I will turn my camera on, wait for it to take a couple pictures of me moving around in front of the camera, go check the camera again to make sure that it is set up correctly, and then turn it on and walk away. Because I I want to make sure that my trail camera is taking pictures before I, I walk away from it for you know upwards of right now I'm going on five weeks that I haven't since I've checked my trail camera. So um uh, I, I get, it's to the point now where I'm, I lose sleep sometimes thinking about my trail cameras. <laughs> so I want to make sure that they're up and they're running. And uh, that's one thing that uh, I do. I even one time, one year, uh, before I went into the timber, uh, I put a big, I had a permanent marker in my car, a Sharpie, and I wrote double check on my hand that closes it. So when I was closing it, I would look at it and I'm like, okay, well, I got to go in and make sure it's all accurate again. But uh, again, that's for someone with uh, low brain power like myself. Hey, man, absolutely, absolutely. If uh, you know, if that, if anything that helps you, if that helps you, then the more power to you, man. That uh, there's again, there's nothing more frustrating than coming back to a set after five weeks, right. finding it turned off. Like, you know, that's uh, that's just a punch in the gut. Yeah, yeah. So, let's see here. Is, do you have any other type of, uh, you know, advice for people, whether they're looking to purchase their first trail camera or another trail camera? Actually, before you answer that question, I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned try to get all trail cameras, this, you know, the same. 
so you're, you're running the entire brand. Um, in the past, I have had an issue where those my SD cards don't function properly on both trail cameras. Is there some kind of data or software or I don't know what it is that goes on to that SD card even after you format it that could prevent um, that SD card working in both trail cameras? Well, um, yes and no. Uh, you know, every every manufacturer uses uses a different codec or uses a different writing process, and it is very important that you format your if it's possible to format your card inside your camera uh, to sync not only the writing speed to the host, but also um, make sure that those file allocation tables uh, do not have any corrupt files or cookies on them. Um, you know, when you jump cards from brand to brand, uh, you may experience issues. We've had issues with that uh, in, the, in the past using uh, multiple different brands, and we've had a few consumers um, have a couple problems with those, you know, running, running a card in one brand and then pulling that card, putting it in an Exodus camera and not formatting it, and then that camera not writing properly. So there is something there. Um, I would suggest buying two specific cards for every camera that you have and labeling those cards um, for that specific brand or that for that specific model um, so you don't have to worry about that while you're in the field because uh, again there's nothing more frustrating than pulling that card uh, coming home viewing it on your computer or, or in the field on a, on a viewer and uh, and see corrupt files or or know that that camera was taking pictures but yet you don't have any data now, another thing that I've noticed in, in, in the past has been PC versus Mac computers. And <laughs> are, are, there, are there brands out there or um, software out there that will only allow you to look at your pictures in uh, a certain type of, on a certain type of computer? Absolutely. You know, uh, that's, a, that's a great point or great question. Um, Specifically for Exodus, for us, um, Mac does throw us a little, a few, a few fits. Um, you know, you to view your videos, um, those AVI files, you have to have, I think it's VCL or VLC or Premiere Pro. Um, otherwise, those videos come off a little bit, uh, a little bit um, glitchy. I guess you know they stop and start, stop and start a lot. Um, and typically, we don't have that problem with uh, a regular PCs or a window based computer. Um, you know, and again, it all goes back to what kind of codec the, uh, the manufacturer is using. Um, it, it just goes back to the, and any manufacturer can give you, you know, give you advice as far as what kind of, uh, what kind of program, what kind of software to use when you're, when you're viewing that data. Um, it just goes back to being familiar with your cameras, being familiar with, uh, what type of codec they're using, being familiar with which types of cards they recommend and, uh, what type of software they recommend when viewing those pictures. But there is, uh, there is definitely a difference between viewing pictures on a PC, uh, you know, a window based operating system versus, um, a Mac. Okay. So. I guess going back to that question that I, that I was uh, going to ask, but, uh, the do you have any other information or any other tips or tricks or anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners about trail cameras whether that's purchasing them or maybe maintaining them or you know i don't know anything 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, most guys are running these things 365, at least most guys that, uh, that we deal with. Um, and there can be an added advantage to, um, um, maintaining your cameras, uh, after your postseason scouting, you know, after January, February, after your season closes and you can verify, you know, which deer, which buck have kind of have made it through the season and, uh, are going to be available for next year, you know, it kind of in between that, that law of, uh, uh, you know, the time that we take up, you know, typically that's taken up during, you know, taken up shed hunting, I guess, in between postseason scouting and turkey hunting, I guess you could say, if you could bring those cameras in, uh, take the batteries out of them, clean them up, um, provide some type of lubricant to um, your seals, your O-rings, that could be all the difference in the world as, as far as the longevity of that camera. Um, you know, keeping those seals moisturized so they don't dry out, allowing, you know, water ingress. Um, your camera's going to last a lot longer. And uh, another thing I would say is, Dependent on which brand you're using, if you can get those cameras off of trees, um, I think that also could be an uh, an advantage. Um, Typically, smooth bark trees like a like a a birch or an aspen, um, you know, when it rains, there's a lot of water and a lot of moisture running down those trees. And uh, if you can get them off those trees, away from that moisture, um, you know, I think that that uh, can add to the longevity uh, of your cameras. Nice. Nice. Well, I tell you what, I want to say thanks again for uh, not only your support, but thanks for coming on the show and talking trail cameras with us. I really appreciate it. Um, I I can tell you this. I'm really excited for what you guys have coming out in the next couple of years because I know a little bit of something. You know, I I might have played dumb there at the beginning. I know a little bit of something that's, uh, that's coming out that I'm really interested for. So, uh, thank you. Absolutely, man. I, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on, especially for the hundred episode. Um, you know, we believe in everything that you're doing. Um, obviously we think you're, you're doing a great job. That's, you know, we, we support you 100% and, uh, we're excited, uh, where this goes beyond here. And there you have it. The 100th episode is nearing an end. And, uh, thank you, Chad, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and, uh, the support from Exodus. Uh, what else, what else, what else? The listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And, uh, you know, I wasted too much of your time in the beginning, uh, thanking you. So I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, what else, what else, what else? Oh, here's what, here's what you want to do to win the giveaway, right? So we had uh, the first and second place. They're going to be chosen at random. And uh, in order to win, this is how you enter. So the very first thing you need to do is go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share the Facebook post that mentions this podcast, this 100th episode, on your personal Facebook page. Then... You need to go to 2% for Conservation Facebook page, and you need to like that page, and you need to comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. So go visit 2% for Conservation, like that page, and comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. Now, a majority of us on this podcast are whitetail hunters. So the next thing that we need to do is we need to go 
to the National Deer Alliance Facebook page. You need to like that page and you need to mention Nine Fingers Sent Me. You need to comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. Now, this last and final thing um, I'm asking you to do, I can't track it, so I'm just going to, you know, in good faith, hopefully you guys will all do this. You need to go to the National Deer Alliance website and you need to sign up to be part of the National Deer Alliance. And uh, they'll send you a ton of great information. Now, you don't have to read every article they send your way, but just by you signing up will allow you to be part of something big. So, again, in order to win this first and second place prize, number one, share the Facebook page on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook Book page that or hang on let me start over share the facebook post on the nine finger chronicles facebook page that mentions this 100th episode go to the two percent for conservation facebook page like it and comment nine fingers sent me go to the national deer alliance facebook page like it and comment nine fingers sent me now i can actually go and look to see if you guys have done that all those things and that's how i'm going to pick the winner you know i'll go okay shared it check went to two percent for conservation check went to national deer alliance check uh and the last thing i'm asking you all to do i can't track this so it's kind of like in good faith go to the national deer alliance Facebook page or excuse me website go to the National Deer Alliance website and just sign up all this drama that's going on in the hunting industry right now a lot of it is because the anti-hunters are you know they are obviously larger in numbers but they're winning because they are in a way organized the hunting community is not really organized. So the National Deer Alliance, you signing up, it's one it's one more step closer to joining forces and becoming a united front against people who are trying to stop our traditions, our, our, our hunting rights, our way of life. So uh, it's something that uh, over the past couple months I've, I've started to really get excited about not just the national deer alliance but conservation um you know the hunting community as a whole and uh and realizing that in order for us to continue to do what we love to do we have to stand up for our rights and we have to do that together so um you know that's me on my soapbox uh but uh you know two percent for conservation um that is a really really cool idea one um, percent of your income and one percent of your time uh, because as we all know just buying hunting tags and licenses and all those sometimes those can be pretty expensive just buying the uh the tags and licenses isn't going to cut it and we need to do more uh as well as um you know, signing up for the national deer alliance to uh join forces with your brothers and sisters uh that that love to hunt and love the outdoors so uh there's that now if i've said it once i've said it 100 times thanks for listening and if you go out 
hang a tree stand, wear your damn safety harness. Thanks for listening.